Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Another brand new Flyers Daily draft week for Wednesday, July 6th. Draft coming up tomorrow. Flyers assistant GM Brent Flair will be our guest tomorrow on Flyers Daily. And we'll get to our guest today, along with Bill Meltzer, in just a minute. Director of Player Development, Alan McCauley. Very interesting conversation. We had Alan on last year. It was great to talk to him then, and it was great to talk to him this time around as well. Very interesting way of thinking. Very interesting thoughts on the team, team building, roster building, and much more with Alan McCauley coming up. Real quick, though, before we get to that, it is draft week, and naturally, a lot is floating around uh, in regards to trades and the craziness of draft week and the fact that They'll be in Montreal for an in-person draft coming up uh, tomorrow night. Maybe that springboards even more action into, uh, into play for these NHL teams. And on 32 Thoughts yesterday, Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet had the following to say. He said, what I think happened is that Chicago asked Philly for the fifth overall pick, and I don't think Philly wants to do that. I think Philly has decided, at least at this time, that does not make sense for them, and they're better off keeping the pick than trading it for Alex to bring it. Now, in yesterday's episode, and you've probably read or seen or heard ad nauseum, obviously the Flyers incur a lot of risk if you trade for a player like to because he can walk in two years for nothing, and you lose all the acquisition costs that you gave up to get him, and you lose the player, and you hand his agent, all the leverage and bargaining leverage you could imagine, knowing you gave up a lot to get him, and then you have to re-sign him so the agent has all the leverage. So at least at this point, and look, this is silly season. A lot of things get out, and Pierre Lebrun, for example, said that he didn't think that the Flyers and Chicago have had very serious discussions regarding Debrinket, but we'll see where this goes. We'll see if it's just bargaining and it goes to a place where you culminate a deal, or if it goes to a place where you say, hey, we did our due diligence, we looked in on this player who has scored 41 goals twice, but we think it's a better opportunity for us to not do go in that direction. Maybe we go in another direction. Maybe it's free agency. Maybe it's Philip Forsberg. Maybe it's Johnny Gaudreau, and that's how you choose to fill that need. Maybe it's not filled right now. Who knows? But we'll see how that plays out over this week. And, you know, this is kind of on the heels and maybe this softened the blow for some Flyer fans hearing that, you know, the ones that were all for trading for Alex Dabrinkit because he is a 41-goal scorer two times in his four years in the NHL. So Sportsnet put out also their latest mock draft, Sam Constantino, and he has number one in the draft going to uh, Shane Wright going to Montreal, then New Jersey taking Slavkowski, the defenseman, and then number three, Arizona taking Cutter Gauthier, And then at number four, the Seattle Kraken taking Nemich, leaving the Flyers to take at number five out of the U.S. National Team Development Program, Logan Cooley. Now, he's a player that's dynamic, highly skilled. He could be there. He could be there for the Flyers at number five. We'll see how things play out on draft night. You know, there's not a tremendous amount of conviction that we're hearing from scouts and you know, the draft experts on exactly how this top five, top six is going to play out. So if Logan Cooley's there and you can draft him, then that obviously changes the the thought of trading the number five pick for a lot of people. So we'll see how that part plays out. So I put out a Twitter poll out on my uh, Twitter handle, at Jason Mert, 
And I said, in Sportsnet's latest mock draft, they have Logan Cooley as the Flyers selection. Very possible. He is he is available at five. So would you rather take the risk with Debrinket by sending a big package to Chicago that includes pick number five or pass on Debrinket and select Cooley if he's available? And 77% of the votes, over 600 votes here in early polling, say keep the pick. 23% said use the pick as part of a package to trade for Alex Debrinket. We'll see what happens. Going to be an interesting week for the Flyers. Going to be an interesting week around the NHL. But let's get to our feature interview. Joining Bill Meltzer and I is Flyers Director of Player Development, Alan McCauley. Here's the conversation. It is preparation for the NHL draft, the 2022 version, in person. As we continue our preparation, Bill Meltzer and Jason Martinez, we are joined by the Director of Player Personnel for the Philadelphia Flyers, Alan McCauley. Alan, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Has it been... Um, any different this year than the past couple of years in preparation? Uh, you get to go in person, which I think is probably a big factor. Yes, uh, a few a few things would be different, at least for myself. Uh, one certainly for everyone would be that you know doing interviews in person, uh, seeing the uh, the players live uh, a lot more. Um, not that that's been the main aspect of my job. I've been on the pro side, but I have done some. Uh, amateur viewings and um, and I did participate in the um, uh, the draft interviews down in Buffalo um, and uh, that was the first time as a non-player um, the, to uh, participate in that so that was uh, um, I, I think that'll be beneficial and helpful down the road to kind of have a bit of perspective on the the, the person behind the helmet and behind the jersey uh, a lot of times, uh, especially on the pro side, there's very little interaction with players, um, mainly because they're on other other teams. And um, <clears throat> so you, you, you don't really know, you know, character and, and um, what the makeup of the player is, uh, you know, on, a off, on the off ice uh, side of things. So <clears throat> getting a little perspective and, and uh, you know, I wasn't really I was in the background not to asking a lot of questions, but certainly absorbing as much as I could on these kids that, uh, you know, we may or may not draft, but, uh, you know, down the road, we may be wanting to trade for one of these guys. As you're looking at some of these kids, um, also on the pro side too, how much are you factoring in the intangible sides? Because as you said, you get, you know, you, you can watch them play on the ice, you know, you know what their role is, you know what their skill set is. As you're looking for who might fit in the organization, you know, how much do you weigh some of those intangibles that now you're actually getting a little bit more opportunity to, to look at? Uh, well, I, I certainly think that weighs uh, largely. And, and um, you know, the, you, you want to see what the player can do on the ice, but you also are trying to gather as much information as you can behind the scenes. And, um, you know, I was very impressed. Uh, I certainly think highly of our, our guys doing, um, you know, uh, Mark and Yoki and, and Price and, and those guys in the job that they do. But um, I was, you know, just somewhat blown away by the amount of information that they, they go around and, and work at as far as talking to, you know, previous coaches or former teammates or, or wherever they can gather information from. And, um, you know, just to understand the player, because there's, uh, you know, there's one player that I don't, uh, I'd never seen uh, this season, hadn't seen the season, but, um, you know, saw a very similar player and uh, or similar story to to myself where you know it come up and been a 
pretty good player, pretty good prospect, and then gets to the draft year and then it kind of slides off and he has a difficult season. Um, I don't know exactly where he's rated in, in, uh, for this upcoming draft, but I was like, you know, you, you need to keep an eye on a player like that because, you know, uh, if the track record shows you one thing and then one season, um, you know, doesn't live up to that, those expectations, you know, is the player the six seasons before or that one season that's a blip on the screen? A lot of times, you know, on the pro side, it's the, the free agency year. You get It's the flip, uh, the reverse of that, where the player has this career year where they, you know, get 75 points when they've always been a 35-point player, and then you pay them as a 75-point player and you get the 35 or 40-point yeah. player. So you have to be, you have to be careful, but, um, you know, those are uh, just – one player in particular that kind of stood out to me that was, uh, uh, might have a real, um, uh, not surprising, but, uh, you know, a real positive season next year where they, they get back to the player they were. How much do you draw on your own, you know, days of playing for, for those? Because I think like part of the, the thing, Alan, is you got to go, you got to think of the, the mental aspect of it. Like you mentioned so many guys career it in a year with, when the, when you're going to get paid and no, everybody goes, well, they're professional athletes. They should be prepared and playing just as hard every other year, but it's human nature too. And we have to remember that these are not mercenaries and they're not robots that play the game on the ice. They are actually humans and they're, they're motivated by human need as well. How much do you kind of draw on your playing days and, and all of those cerebral aspects of, of how a player pushes and develops and all of those things and, and where he at, where he's at and, any different point in his career? Um, well, I think I draw on it uh, quite often, to be honest. Um, I think that's a large part of why I'm in the position that I am, uh, why I was kind of brought back into the game uh, after my playing days were over. And um, yes, it's it's frustrating, uh, I'm sure, for the fans to watch when you, you you have a player with a certain expectation. The player is also frustrated. The coach is frustrated. The general manager is frustrated when those guys aren't, um, you know, uh, achieving the goals that they probably set for themselves or the expectations that they set, um, you know, from the from the outside that, that, that people would have set for that player as well. Um, um, I don't know that I ever went into a game with a real different mindset. Yet, you know, sometimes. Uh, had a lot of success and other times uh, a few hiccups or mistakes or failures out there. Um, you know, I, in between my years, I always felt like I was preparing for the game the same way. I mean, you know, I, I know a lot gets made of superstition and the only real reason that you do some of those things is to get yourself in the right mindset to perform, you know, optimally going into that game. Um, it's not because, uh, you know, chicken and rice is a pregame meal has some mysterious powers it's because it starts to help you frame your, you know, you, you, the right frame of mind and, uh, and you perform at your best. So uh, I certainly, again, I'm not involved on the amateur side a great deal, um, but I do think whatever I'm asked to participate in or be involved in, um, you know, draw from my days as a player and, um, and understand that, um, you know, there's, I don't know, find a balance between those. Uh, there can be some real ups and downs within the season uh, for a player and even within their career. So, um, yeah. you know, you're at, a lot of times we're making educated guesses, you know, um, and so that's what I'm saying. 
uh, or what I was talking about before with you got a player that's performed at a certain level for six years and then one year's, you know, up or down, um, you probably need to uh, weigh the six years more heavily than the, than the, the one season, whether it's, you know. The outlier theory. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this this is something, Alan, that, that uh, I mean, it's affected the Flyers organization a little too much. So, so many prospects have either missed half a year, a full season in some cases due, due to injuries. Um, and I can think of also a guy who's in this year's draft class who got just a tremendous start, uh, had an injury, came back, and we really spent the rest of the year trying to get back to that level. You know, I, I think you can speak to this also as a former player where – how you know how much of a factor is it where you you may be medically cleared to return and you you may have your game legs back? How much time does it take though to, to regain your your confidence a little bit that, that mojo that you had before you got just just entrusting your game and and in, in you know rebuilding some of your confidence in what you can do as a player? Um, yes, I can certainly speak to it. I, I spent many days on a trainer's table and in, in a medical room, so um, you know a lot of time battling back from from injuries or back back from uh, situations where I wasn't hundred percent. And um, I mean, it can be quick where all of a sudden you get back in the lineup and you score right away or whatever, and, and something good positive happens and, and you feel, um, you know, you feel good about yourself and good about your game. But if it, it can quickly snowball the other way where all of a sudden you, you don't score for the first three, three or four games, depending on what type of player you are and what you value, um, and, and that's where, you know, I think having good support staff at times can be helpful where those guys, especially with the young players um, and development, uh, the development staff can be around those players. A lot of those guys have played before and they can, you know, um, be kind of a sounding board or, or you know, keeping that player uh, in a in a right kind of frame of mind where they're they're approaching the game. They're trusting their, their you know, their skill set and just sticking with the process and um, it's easier said than done uh, but if you have people in your corner I think it makes it makes it easier for for those things to happen and for your your game to get back on track quicker Alan sometimes when a player you know they go on a heater and everything they do it ends up in the back of the net and I've heard, you know, I've heard that just yeah <laughs> and there's the converse to that right I always call it the the uh, the M. Night Shyamalan unbreakable theory. You have some guys that never get hurt, and then there's some guys that always get hurt. And it's the same thing in, in player performance. Like, you know, you can just go on one of those heaters, and everything you do ends up being positive or negative. And, or, you know, sometimes you fall somewhere in between that. How much, though, can that derail development of a player as, you know, he takes goes to that stage of, development at the NHL level? Because I think there's stages of development. There's, you know, heading into your draft year, when you're drafted, all of those things. But then there's an element of development in the NHL. And, you know, we look at certain players and we go, hey, they were the right draft pick. They were developed well to get there. But when they got to the NHL, they stalled. How much of that sometimes could just be, hey, you've had bad luck, bad bounces. And how much of it can can be straightened out and, and the mental aspect of that? Um, well, you're 100% right. There, there is certainly uh, stages to development at the at the NHL level, uh, both I would say on and off the ice. Um, speaking from personal experience, I mean, I, I train uh, I train differently. My first 
probably three, four, five seasons in the NHL. Um, luckily, I had Gary Roberts come out as a teammate to, in, in around, I don't know, season three or four. Um, so that that certainly helped. He introduced me to uh, Lauren Goldenberg. And, um, you know, as I said, it was I started training a little differently. But, I, but you also have to figure out uh, what works for you. Um, I didn't need to be 210 pounds and full of muscle. I needed to be kind of a blend. I'm not the biggest guy. So I think lots of players have to um, uh, find that balance for themselves. And it takes a few years. Um, I know nowadays players are probably introduced to strength coaches and skills coaches, you know, uh, real early on. I don't even remember. I don't think we even had a skills coach back when I played, but um, <clears throat> you were just kind of told to figure it out and, and, uh, and work harder. Um, but uh, I, I think the players are, are more prepared, but at the same time, they haven't played at the NHL. They haven't physically fully matured. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times too, that when the, these players are drafted as 18 uh, year olds, everyone has this expectation that they're, you know, Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid. And, and a lot of guys, it takes, you know, till 23, 24. And in particular for these guys that are uh, current, currently, uh, you know, 22, 23, 24, they missed a full season or most of a season. So how does that, you know, affect their development as far as that, that, that age group right now? But typically at the pro level, I'd say, you know, in and around, 22 to 24 uh, for a forward, maybe a little bit older for a defenseman and even beyond that for a goalie. So it certainly takes time for them to get um, their body right physically and, and strong enough. But along uh, what I learned, you know, in and around that that range was I took that those opportunities or that time in the gym to get my head in the right space. Um, you know, I was just constantly thinking of what I needed to do and, and how I was going to, uh, I don't know, not get as frustrated, um, try and have more of a balanced mental approach to the game. Um, and that's when I had, you know, my best season and then, you know, uh, physically it dropped off after that for me. But um, so I think that uh, there's two things that can happen for guys as they go along is they, you know, find that, that right mixture of, of, you know, strength and speed and, and quickness and, and stuff in their training, as well as using that opportunity in the summer to, you know, get in the right to mental space, which is difficult when you uh, face an injury early on. Uh, so one of the big initiatives that uh, Chuck Fletcher's undertaken has been to uh, expand the developmental coaching aspect and pour resources into that. Um, can you kind of walk us through how the role of a developmental coach you know, plays in with the player, how it's changed maybe over the years. I think there's some misunderstanding as to what developmental coaches actually do in their interactions with players. Well, I certainly, uh, I'll speak more on, you know, when I worked for Los Angeles Kings, I, I, I got to see a little bit more uh, of the interaction there. Um, I'm sure moving forward here, I'll, I'll get to see, um, you know, a similar level, but it's, uh, uh, you know, right from the draft day, uh, uh, you know, once they come down, put a jersey on, shake hands, uh, development kind of takes over right there. And they start talking to the kids and, and you know, right away get uh, their cell phone numbers and, and um, I don't know what other other avenues you can connect with players, whether you guys are going with Snapchat and, and Facebook and, and, and the such. But um, and they're just you know, constantly around them. Um, and 
they'll go in and watch the player, whether it be in, you know, the NCAA or if they're in the OHL or, or, or over in Europe, uh, the guys will, will, you know, attend a few games, go over video, um, which also can be done from, from afar as well. But, uh, and over that time, um, you know, once the player becomes a pro, I feel like there's a real relationship and bond built with, you know, between development and, and the player. And, um, so when the player gets in the pro game for a lot of these guys, you know, the pros a, a harder step, um, the coaches are a little more demanding, um, you know, and, and it's, I think all these players have this, uh, thought that they will step right in the national hockey league and they don't understand that it, it's a real challenge. The guys that are in the national hockey league, aren't going to give up their spot. The guys that are just below them want to keep their spot, you know, next in line. So you really have to earn that. And, and it's mentally very challenging. Um, and to have somebody in their corner or a number of players, sorry, a number of people that are in that player's corner, I think it only bodes well with their development that they're, you know, like I, I kind of alluded to, be, alluded to before and that they, they stay with the process, you know, and it's, it, it can be frustrating that you, you, you see other players that might get an opportunity before you. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, I, I feel like the development is constantly around them. And it's supporting them uh, as as best we can. Um, it's not about you know should draft this player or that player. It's this is the player we've drafted, and we have to make him as best uh, you know the best possible player uh, or best best possible version uh, that he can be. Um, and so that's their focus. And and um, you know I, I think we've expanded, added some. We've had some real good. Uh, personnel in there to begin with and we've added to it that I think will only uh, you know help us moving forward with our development. Alan how much does this is kind of what you experienced and what you've seen over the years you know you just mentioned you know the players getting there they got to earn that job and that's when I think you start to realize hey if I take a roster spot I'm taking somebody else's job I'm taking their livelihood and you when you do that you also take on that responsibility. Now, this is my livelihood. This is my job. The reality that you're now playing for your financial future. And when a player gets into that coming out of entry-level contract portion of their career and going into their first real, real money situation, it can have a profound effect on a player in the way they play, the amount of, that it affects them on the ice. The motivation, which we talked about, is, is an element of it as well. But then there's also an expectation for a young player making really good money for the first time to perform to that standard. How much of that and, you know, a kind of verbal conversations are had about, hey, like you got to stick to your process of playing that you got you to be able to compartmentalize the financial element and the business element in a way that doesn't affect the way that you develop as an NHL player. Yes, I do think that that's, uh, you know, part of the conversation, part of, say, a, a stage in the development. Um, and it, I mean, there's not a lot we can say change about it. That's the way that I think the CBA is is uh, sculpted now um, to allow where before. I mean, when I started, guys were like 31 when they're hitting free agency. So uh, they're, you know, well past their prime that, you know, they were getting paid when they really shouldn't be. Um, and now it's, you know, kind of the reverse. Um, 
And yes, to, to your points, uh, absolutely. It's a difficult thing because all of a sudden there's greater expectation, greater pressure on the player. Um, and they're younger with less experience to kind of deal yeah. with that. But if you've got the right guys on the development side that, have, like I say, built those bonds, I mean, coaches are there to kind of push players and, and, uh, and get the most out of the players. But the development side is kind of there is, um, I mean, we've got sports psychologists and, 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 and the such, but I think it's more like a, I don't know, like a friendly face. Um, somebody, like I said before, is in your corner pushing for you, wants the best for you. And I think the players understand that. So um, I think when they're in those situations where they've, they've, you know, performed well, now they're being rewarded financially and they're, you know, 20, whatever, 21, 22, 23. Those are the guys that probably can have some, um, some more personable conversations. I don't know that, you know, somebody in the GM chair can, can, yes, they can have that conversation, but I think it might connect more or mean more coming from, uh, like I say, the development person that's, that's really built that bond over whatever, three or four or five years. See, that's, I think that real home, real sick, Bill. Um, th that's the thing. I, and you nailed it. I, you finally got me to the mental space where I needed to get to. So you're good at this. Um, <laughs> that in your day, you got paid for what you did today. You're paid for what we think you're going to do. <laughs> and that's, and that's so different to me. And that's, that's just where the NHL is right now. It's a young man's game. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry, Bill. <laughs> no, that's okay. This is, this is kind of related to that. When you look ahead to, you know, to next season, beyond this off season in the next year, I mean, there, you know, realities, there's only so many, so many salary cap dollars to go around and teams that are successful need, younger players who have relatively cap-friendly contracts, you know, to, to step up and take their game to the next level. So when you look at the roster and the organization, how how important is it that come next season, guys like Owen Tippett, Cam York, Morgan Frost, uh, Tanner Lazinski, Wade Allison, some combination thereof, step up and they take regular roles in the team and they, they become guys that John Tortorella can rely on and you get a certain, you know, you get a, are able to achieve, able to attain a certain level of play, and, and that's spilling over to being being a harder team to play against. You know, in addition to the guys who, who you know you have, the, the Couturiers, the Cam Atkinsons, etc. Yeah, no, it's it's crucial. Uh, I think all teams need uh, in the cap era need need players that kind of will I'll say overachieve a little bit um, and and take that next step. And we have a bunch of young players that are kind of in the same uh, uh, same stage of their development or um, same stage of their career. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that those guys, some of those guys will, will do that. I think it's a little naive to think, you know, all five, six of them are all of a sudden going to just take an amazing step forward. Uh, but I do think that, you know, a couple of those guys with, you know, more uh, playing time under their belt last season versus coming out of, you know, a season where it was missed uh, essentially as far as playing time and development, some guys were hurt. So I think a full summer where they get back and they get stronger, um, uh, you know, and hopefully have the people around them that are kind of getting them in the right mental space to take that, that next step. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think when you, Again, I'll go back to kind of stage of being a coming in an NHL player. You, you, 
when you first get in the league, you're just, it's almost like you're running on adrenaline. This is what I wanted to do for my whole life. Now I'm in the NHL and you're super excited and you're running around. And then the next season, a lot of times there's a little, I know it's often talked about, but the sophomore slump, you, you're kind of, you take your foot off the gas a little bit. Um, you think you, you belong, but you're not sure. Um, and then either year three or year four is where you, you start to be like, okay, I do belong here and now I need to make an impact. Uh, I can't just be happy with, like we talked about earlier, there's somebody behind me that wants to take this job. And so I've got to step it up. I've got to like, now I've kind of established myself, but, um, uh, uh, so I hope that these guys are in with their mental space in that area where they're really viewing themselves as, okay, I'm an NHL player, but I want to be whatever, a middle six, a top nine. I want to be on the first power play unit. Like they're trying, um, they want to get to the next level. They want to, they, they want to maybe push somebody else out of a spot. Um, not just be happy to be in the, in the national hockey league. Um, it's great league to be in, but I'm, uh, I don't think I really need to tell people this, but it's, it, uh, uh, you're constantly having to earn that job. And uh, I think we want to create that kind of environment. that only helps us become a better team uh, and a more successful team. If we've got an internal competition going on and uh, having some of those young guys, battle for some of those spots and, and want to be on power plays or penalty kill or, or stay in the NHL um, should be something that, that helps us. Um, Alan, here's the last question for me. Um, John Tortorella named the next uh, head coach, 23rd head coach in Philadelphia Flyers history. And he's veteran coach. You know, sometimes that, that narrative goes veteran coach prefers veteran players, doesn't develop young players. But I, I look through John Tortorella's career and I see a lot of development a lot of trust in young players, a lot of responsibility that he'll put on guys. And just as recently as his stint in Columbus, I saw the development of Seth Jones. Not that he, Seth Jones was a highly regarded player, same with Zach Warinsky, but their development's been pretty pronounced. And Warinsky probably wasn't an easy guy to develop because there was a lot of you know, free freelancing to his game, and John demands a lot of structure. But uh, when you look at the head coach pick, and the development history that he has, I'm sure that gets you a little bit excited as a, as a player development guy that, hey, we have a coach here that can not only develop guys from when they come out of the AHL, the collegiate game, or if they go from major junior to the NHL, depending where they are in their arc, uh, or to guys you know in year two, year three of being an NHL player, they're going to continue to develop. I imagine that part's pretty exciting, having a guy with the track record, John Tortorella. Absolutely. Um, you know, thrilled to, that we were able to get John aboard and, and uh, I just love the, you know, uh, the passion that he brings to the, to the arena or to the ice. And um, yes, I do think he's going to be demanding and keep guys accountable, but I also think that he, um, that he'll, you know, want to push the pace and allow players to, when they have the puck, um, you know, make decisions and, and, uh, and try and create. Um, I know when I played against Tampa way back when, when they won the cup, I mean, they pushed the pace. There was guys like they had, uh, like Martin St. Louis was on the penalty kill and actually very good at it, but, um, they would blow the zone. They had a, a system where they're blocking shots in front, but whoever the high forward was, was, taking off out of the zone. And if they blocked that shot, they were just kicking it off the boards and they created a lot of chances that way. So I, 
you know, although I think he'll he'll implement defensive structure and, and, and help some of our guys in, in that respect, I, I don't think that he's going to discount some of the skill that that we do have and and, and keep it from from, um, you know, being creative and, and producing. Um, but I would like myself, I, I would like us to be a little bit better away from the puck and not giving up as many chances as, as we are. Um, but I also think there's two ways to combat that. I, I think you can be, you know, harder to play against, smarter uh, away from the puck, you know, better positioning. Um, but also, you can also do that with, with the puck. If you have the puck, um, that's great defense. So um, hopefully we're going to, you know, play that kind of system where we're, you know, we're playing with pace. Um, we're well-structured away from the puck, but, um, you know, let's play with the puck more. Um, and we'll, we'll see where we got to, you know, the draft in front of us and then free agency to um, uh, assist John with some, some better players and um, hopefully some better results. Uh, one thing that, uh, that Chuck mentioned, and it's my last question for you, um, in, in talking about how Kim Dillabaugh is coming back and that, that the selection of the goalie coach is not just a coaching decision, it's also an organizational decision because it's such a specialized position. Um, so my question is, you know, because you have Kim Dillabaugh and you have Brady Robinson, you know, is basically everything delegated to those guys goalie goalie wise in terms of okay, where are these guys mentally, where are they physically, mechanically, you know, I, I or or is that something that uh, you know the hockey ops people they, they might meet with uh, with Kim and, and kind of get kind of get the four one one okay. You know, where was this guy or that guy at? Yes, we certainly do. Uh, you know, communicate as a group. Um, they, <laughs> I'm not a goalie guru. Um, there are certain things that I like when I when I see it, and other things that uh, that I don't. Uh, but so we, I would say, kind of weed out, or have we certainly have our own opinions, but we. Uh, we kind of narrow down lists of for, you know, say it's free agency and we're trying to, you know, f fill a box. Well, we'll narrow down who we like, who we dislike, and then, you know, kick it to Brady and, uh, and uh, Kim. And, you know, they will kind of tweak our, our final list per se. Um, but we do, we do get together uh, a few times throughout the season and discuss things. They have uh, greater knowledge on, you know, um, technique and, and the such, but, um, uh, we do communicate as a group and, uh, and yes, it is, it's, uh, you know, a kind of a whole staff decision. Um, you know, I was, uh, pleasantly surprised with, um, not, not, I shouldn't say pleasantly surprised. I was, I was just happy with the results that, uh, that Kim was able to get from, from Martin Jones last year. I think Jonesy, came into us where it was uh, a, a couple of tough seasons in San Jose. And, uh, you know, I thought he gave us some, some, some good hockey. We just need to play a little bit better in front of uh, both, uh, both of our goalies this coming season. Uh, I agree. I, when they've made the signing, I was kind of like, Ooh, this is a guy that's been touched up out there. The environment's been bad. He was overplaying situations, but the fine tooth comb that, that Kim and Brady brought out go, Hey, if we just, we can play a little deeper in his net, make him have to travel a little bit less on east-west plays. He can have more. He can have success in this league, and, and we saw it. His numbers may not have been indicative of uh, the level of play that he had, but that's a team stat to me. But uh, that's a great point that you make, and goaltending is one of those things. It's like you know, it's sometimes you just know it when it's right, 
you can't exactly explain why you like it, but you know that, hey, that's good. I, I can tell. It's a gut, too. There's that element to it. So, um, Alan, I know it's a busy week for you guys. Um, you can enjoy Montreal. Good to be back on the floor and seeing people face-to-face and your counterparts across the NHL. That's good. I imagine that's going to be kind of a, a signal of, all right, we're really close to normal here. I certainly hope so. I know it's been uh, a long couple of years or, yeah, even over that uh, for for everyone and not uh, not just the hockey people involved, but uh, but everyone. And uh, so it will be a great sign if, uh, not if, when, when we get to Montreal and, and get on the draft floor and, and uh, see some familiar faces, because uh, even this past season, I'd go into arenas and you'd have a mask on in particular in, in the uh, in the Canadian cities and uh, would say hello to someone and they were just puzzled as who's who was talking to them. So it'd be nice to see see everyone with, uh, you know, masks off and and, uh, and share a few laughs and a few stories and uh, see if we can. Uh, oh, no, we will improve our team for sure. Alan, thanks for doing this. Um, best of luck in the draft. We love talking to you. You're such a cerebral guy. I, I just find like it's I get so much insight from you. So I appreciate your time. I know Bill does as well. Thanks for doing this and best of luck. Anytime. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks to Alan McCauley for taking the time uh, once again to join us here on Flyers Daily. I hope you guys found that pretty enlightening. I know I did. I always enjoy talking to Alan. I think he's an incredibly smart man. I think he's probably ticketed for a general manager seat at some point in his career. Just incredibly dialed in. So thanks to him for joining us. Thanks to Bill Meltzer as well. Thanks to you for listening. Tomorrow, draft day. We'll bring it to you tomorrow with Brent Flair, Flyers assistant GM, will be our guest, and we'll get you ready for draft night in Montreal. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. Someone learn, money do, cover up or